Pastor Javen will conclude our Money Perspective series this morning, where we'll see what truly makes us a generous person. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Also, Jesus had... Also, Jesus said to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a manager of his estate and and accusations against this man were brought to him that he was squandering his master's possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. Let my affairs for you can be my manager no longer. And the manager of the estate said to himself, what shall I do? Seeing that my master is taking the management away from me, I am not able to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have come to know what I will do, so they, my master's debtors, may accept and welcome me into their homes when I am put out of the management. So he summoned his master's debtors one by one, and he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures, about 900 gallons of oil. And he said to him, take back your written acknowledgement of obligation and sit down quickly and write 50, about 450 gallons. After After that, he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures, about 900 bushels of wheat. He said to him, take back your written acknowledgement of obligation and write 80, about 700 bushels. And his master praised the dishonest, unjust manager for acting shrewdly and prudently. For the sons of this age are shrewder and more prudent and wiser in relation to their own generation, to their own age and kind, than are the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of unrighteous mammon deceitful riches, money, possessions, so that when it fails, they, those you have favored, may receive and welcome you into the everlasting habitations, the dwellings. He who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is dishonest and unjust in a very little thing is dishonest and unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the case of the unrighteous mammon, deceitful riches, money, possessions, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not proved faithful in that which belongs to another, whether God or man, who will give you that which to your own? That is the true riches. No servant is able to serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will stand by or he will stand by and be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, riches or anything in which you trust and on which you rely. Now the Pharisees who were covetous and lovers of money heard all these things taken together and they began to sneer at and ridicule and scoff at him. But he said to them, you are the ones who declare yourself just and upright before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is exalted and highly thought of among men is detestable and abhorrent abomination in the sight of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives, God. We ask that you put this word in our hearts, Father God. Father, we just, we pray for Pastor Javens right now, Father. That you have called him for such a time as this to deliver this word, God. 
Let us open our hearts to hear what it is that you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miss Cindy. We appreciate that. Well, it is amazing to think how quickly a year will fly by, right? The, the, older, you, the older you get, it seems, the quicker they go. And, uh, you know, we are approaching what is typically known as the holiday season. It's right around the corner, right? Many of you, you you've either started or you're thinking about now all those things that you can tell your friends, your loved one, your family to get you, right, for the holiday season. Some, some of you have even probably maybe started celebrating the holiday. You started decorating your house already. Some of you, I bet, you started pulling stuff out. My wife told me this weekend, she went and she came home and she said, since you won't let me decorate yet for Christmas, I'm going to decorate for fall. So she had bought all this stuff and she was decorating the house for fall. I said, baby, I, as long as you don't interrupt my football, we all right. So, uh, you know, so... Uh, but, but we're in this time of year where we are wishful, right? We pause for just a moment to be thankful. And then we pick right back up as soon as the turkey's gone and we pick up to see where all the Black Friday sales are. And we say, how can I get my closet, my house, my space full of stuff, right? It's the season of giving, but boy, do we love receiving gifts as well, right? It's okay to admit that. It's okay to admit that you like it. Harvard in 2008, though, did a study. It was led by a guy named uh, Michael Norton. He's a professor there. Where they wanted to determine happiness as defined by income and spending. Happiness is defined by income and spending. And the study was done in three different parts to try to, to show that people actually had more joy, more happiness when it came to how they used their resources towards others than when it was on themselves. Norton said this about it. He said, the study addressed a paradox that economists have talked about for a long time. He said that increases in income don't tend to lead to big increases in happiness. People buy bigger and bigger houses, but they don't seem to get much happier as a result from buying those things. So the first part of their research, they did a survey, just a simple survey. They sent it out, asked people about, you know, their happiness when it comes to their spending and, 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 and those types of things. And what they found was spending more on others, a term that they used was pro-social spending, spending more on others brought them a greater level of happiness than when they spent what they had on themselves. And so they did a second study in this regards. And what they did was they went to a Boston-based company and they handed out anywhere from three to $8,000 bonuses. And some of you are thinking, man, why wouldn't I? Why didn't they come to South Carolina and come to my company and do that, right? So they gave them these bonuses. They gave the employees these bonuses. They said, use the bonus however you want to use it on yourself. It's just, we're just blessing you today. Use it on yourself, use it on others, whatever way you seem fit. And what they found, again, through when they started researching how the individuals used their bonuses, they found that people had more joy when they used their bonuses or a large majority of their bonuses on other people than they did on themselves. Norton made this comment. He said, the dollar amount of the bonus had no impact on happiness over time. Said people were just as happy whether they received $3,000 or $8,000. All that mattered was the percent that they spent on other people. And so they said, all right, we've done a survey. We've done it with business people. Let's do it with college people, a younger generation. 
and let's see how this pans out here. So they went to the University of British Columbia and they passed out envelopes. Some envelopes had $5, some envelopes had $20. If you think, well, that's not a lot of money, then you were never a college student, all right? Because a college student, that is a lot of money. So they get this money and they said, here, we just want to give you this. You can use this money however you want to. We do want to come back together this evening. Use it before this evening. You can either use it on yourself or you can use it on someone else. But we're going to come back together this evening and talk about how you used your money. And so they got back together. They talked about it. And here's what Norton said they found. We found that the people who spent the money on themselves were not happier that evening than the day, how the day started out for them. But the people who spent it on others had more joy at the end of the day. And they said the amount of money, whether it was $5 or $20, it didn't matter at all. It was only how they used it that matters. Now, about 2,000 years ago, there was a guy by the name of Paul. He was an apostle. And another guy by the name of Luke traveled around with Paul and all the other apostles. He journaled their acts and he put them in a book that we have today called Acts in our Bibles or the Acts of the Apostles. And in Acts chapter 20, we see this moment where Paul was about to leave Ephesus where he had planted a church. And he called the leaders of the church of Ephesus together and he began to talk to him. Now, before you throw this verse up, Ryan, let me just mention this. Because the first part of this verse says, it's in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He says, you should remember the words of Jesus. Now, when we see these words, if you were to go back through the Gospels, you wouldn't find these specific words, okay? You wouldn't find the phrase that Paul says. But John, even in his account, at the very end of his book, John chapter 20, he, uh, he makes the statement, he says that all of the teachings and all of the words of Jesus have not been written down and not been recorded. So what we're seeing is a little bit more insight from Paul on something else that Jesus said. And what he says lines up with everything else he teaches on this subject so we can believe that it's accurate. And so he says this, he calls the leaders of the church of Ephesus together. And in Acts 20 verse 35, he tells them, I've been a constant example of how hard or how you can help those in need by working hard. And you should remember the words of Jesus where he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So in 2008, Harvard did a study to find out, do we really get more joy when we give than when we receive? (laughs) Well, over 2000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the son of God, he told everybody, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You're going to have more joy in your life when you give to someone else than when you receive. We're wrapping up this series today. We're concluding it, all right? And uh, it's it's a series we've been in called Money Perspective, where we've been looking to try to create the proper space to have the proper perspective to understand properly our finances, our money, our resources, what we've been blessed with by God. And the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey wrote in that book, he said, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. In other words, how we've grown up, how we've learned things, how we've been trained in this life, it shapes our perspective for how we see things. And you've probably heard the phrase before, perspective is reality. 
Because that's how it is for people. The way you see something, that's your reality for that, that life. That's how you take it in. But what can happen is sometimes we can have a perspective that's not a proper perspective and it could be distorting how we see something. If you remember very week one, we looked at Matthew six where Jesus taught the people around him. And he said, we see through our eyes and sometimes we think we have light that we're seeing through, but it's really dark. In other words, what he's saying is sometimes we think our perspective is a good one, but in actuality it's not. And so we may need to shift our perspective and change how we see things. I know that there's been situations in in our life where a lot of times, you know, my kids may not understand the way I'm responding to a certain situation. And I'm not talking about discipline, right? We never understand why we get the discipline we get. But uh, but my kids are great. They're good. They don't get a lot of discipline. But anyway, the... um, uh, the so they don't understand why I'm responding to a situation the way I'm responding. And so I've said to Jenny before, man, I wish they could see the bigger picture that I see. I wish they could see things in the way that I see it, right? And her response, very simple, with such wisdom, Javen, one day they will. Because we know that, right? We've looked back on things in our life and we didn't understand why someone did the way they did. But then when we started seeing the whole picture unfold, we understood and we realized, oh, that's why. Well, see, our Heavenly Father wants us to see the world the way He sees the world. Because if we see the world the way God sees the world, we're going to be more inclined to respond the way God wants us to respond in this life. So we won. We started talking about how we have to change our perspective from I own it because I have a title or a deed. I'm an owner. No, God owns it all. He's entrusted it to us. We steward, we manage, and he rewards based on how we steward. Week two, we said we had to shift our perspective from I like it, I love it, I want more of it to I'm thankful, I'm blessed, I don't need it. That we can learn contentment. That that Paul said that godliness, this pursuit of being godly in our life, when we add contentment to that, that's actually true wealth. That's actually gain. And then last week, we said we got to shift our perspective perspective from, from thinking that planning is boring and restrictive to planning is essential and freeing that we can seek the wisdom of God in how we operate and how we plan and how we use the resources that God has blessed us with. And we use his wisdom to plan. And then we use his wisdom to evaluate that plan this week. I want us to shift our perspective from one that says I'm a person who gives to I'm a generous person. Because there is a difference between just being someone who gives and being a generous person. A lot of us know how to respond in giving to certain situations. When we see a need or when we see something, we can give. But here's the thing. Everybody who gives is not necessarily generous. But generous people will always be people who give. It's a be versus do mentality. It's the difference between doing something in a momentary action to having a lifestyle and living this way as this type of person. So when Paul told the church of Ephesus, when he said, remember the words of Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What he was saying is when you order your life around generosity, you will have more joy in your life. 
that joy and happiness is an outcome of a lifestyle of generosity. And that's what Paul was reminding them and what he was teaching them. If we go back to our opening text that Ms. Cindy read for us this morning, it's a very interesting story that Jesus tells. And, and it kind of has this plot twist that I imagine some of them didn't see coming when Jesus said what he said in this parable and in this story. It starts out with this manager, right? It starts out with this manager who is overseeing the resources that the master had given him to oversee. But the master finds out that he's not managing them well. He's mismanaging them. So the master comes back and he tells them, all right, you've been mismanaging the resources that I've given you. So basically I'm about to fire you. I'm giving you your two weeks notice, essentially, that you're about to lose your job because of how you managed what I've given you to manage. And so this Manager goes home and he begins to think to himself at night, oh goodness, what does this mean? Because he says, I, I, am, I am a networker. I'm not a manual worker. That's what he's saying. I can't dig ditches. I can't dig holes. I'm a networker, not a manual worker. He, he's, I'm too proud to beg. In other words, he's, he's useful. He's used to living a bougie lifestyle. He's not used to being broke. All right. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. So he's trying to figure out what do I do in this situation to make sure I'm taken care of? So he calls in some of the people that he oversees stuff for this master. And we would call it power of attorney. He still has not been officially fired yet. So he has the ability to make these changes and do these things. So he calls them in and he says, how much do you owe? How much is your bill this? And he He tells them to change all these things. And basically what he's doing is he's working a favor out for them because he knows in just a few days he's going to be in need and he's going to need a favor. So he's working a favor for them so that they'll do a favor for him. So he makes them an offer that they can't refuse. (laughs) Always wanted to do that. That's where I... And so he does this and some of you as a younger was like, what is he doing? But anyway, he makes them this offer and, and they respond. And so now he's got people in his back pocket that's going to do something for him later when he needs them. And then the master comes up and he finds out what he does. And this is where we kind of see this plot twist. We see it in verse eight. Look again at Luke 16, verse eight. The rich man had to admire, I love the New Living Translation way it said it, this dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And just leave that out there for a minute for me, Ryan. But he's, he goes to him and he's like, he's, he's like, you know, I, I'm not happy with what you've done. But I have to admire, I mean, that was pretty smart. <laughs> Some of you, you've, you've been like that. Parents, you've got kids, you know, you know, like, you, you're going you're gonna to be in trouble, but that, that was pretty good. <laughs> I got to give it to you. That was pretty good. Kudos. Um, so he commends, he doesn't condone, but he commends. Because we're going to see later here in just a minute that Jesus points out that what the worldly honors God considers detestable. So the point of the thing is that we don't honor what he did, but we can learn from the fact that he uses wisdom. 
the word shrewd, when, when in my research of that, is it's really, it's a, it's a morally neutral term. It's basically saying that you're taking common sense and practical force, uh, insight and, and, and the foresight that you have to make a decision, a wise decision. So you're taking this common sense and you're taking this practical insight that you have. Now, the decision you make might be immoral, but there's nothing, the, the wisdom is what you're, you're focused on here. And so Jesus is going to be making a point as a follower of Christ, we need to be using our God-given reasoning and capabilities to live out our life for Christ in a way that honors him in a way that's righteous, not like the unrighteous guy, but the wisdom that God has given us, use it in a way that honors God. And that's where our perspective has to be different from the world because Jesus is saying the children of this world, they're more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. What Jesus is saying is he's saying those outside of relationship with the heavenly father, they are wiser at preparing for their temporal needs and their temporary place on this earth than those who are followers of God are at using what they have for eternal purposes. This is what Jesus is pointing out. The unrighteous do what they do with what they have for their present time. Jesus is saying you should use what you have with eternity in mind. Because when we live with eternal values in our heart, we see our resources with a different perspective. We've said it a couple of times in this series that everything that we have been given today has an eternal significance with it. There is an eternal significance for everything we have. And so Jesus says, Jesus is basically pointing out because everything that this guy is doing, he is doing it to obtain better relationships for himself and establish something in the relationships that he has. So Jesus is kind of making this statement and kind of pointing out and he's saying, we look at our resources and we say, what am I going to have? What am I going to have to show for how I've used my resources? What am I going to have? Jesus is saying, don't ask that question. Instead, you need to ask, who do I have to show for the resources that God has blessed me with in this life? Look again in verse 9, chapter 16. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. Remember we said it last week that the kingdom of God, if we seek first the kingdom of God, that means God is first and foremost in our life, but the kingdom of God is an others-focused kingdom. And he says, use the worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone... When this temporary life is over, they will welcome you to an eternal home. That there will be others on the side of eternity who will be thankful for what you poured into them. Because what you poured into them brought them into an eternal home with you. See, his, his, the point he's making is that it causes us to ask a very serious soul searching question. What am I spending my life on? What am I doing with my life that will last forever? And so Jesus is making this statement that you can use the same unrighteous mammon 
that the sinful and godless world uses to accomplish these temporal pleasures. You can use it to invest and see eternal dividends pay forth in your life. That's the perspective of the generous person. And he goes on and he says that those who have been faithful with little will be trusted with more. But if you break trust with the little bit that you've given, how can you be expected to be given any more? It goes back to what we looked at in week one. It's like Jesus is saying that what you've been trusted with, it's not just a tool. It's a test. Because how we use it reflects where our devotion is. How we use our resources reflects where our our devotion is. So we have to make sure to not let that test become a temptation that leads us into evil. But to let that test be something that proves who we are in Christ. And again, we see where Jesus says to him, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. If God is your master, then money and the resources that you have in this life, every resource you've been given, your time, your talents, your treasures, your finances, that is a tool to use for the kingdom of God. But if you don't see it that way, then you become a servant of those things. And over and over, we see that money, the security that we believe it brings it becomes the chief competitor for our heart. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. And then the Pharisees, they don't like his teaching because the Pharisees really like money. And so Jesus begins to talk to them. Let's look back at verse 14 and 15. So the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That's basically what they're doing. And then he said to them, you guys like to appear righteous in public. Wow. Jesus never really took it easy on these guys. But that's because they taught his word. He says, you like to appear righteous in public. But God knows your hearts. That is convicting. Because how we focus so much on how we appear to others. But Jesus would look at us. He was standing right here in the room with us today. And he said, he would look at us and he'd say, God knows your heart. So focus on your heart and let your heart reflect God to others. That's what matters. Remember, I told you last week that we looked at the Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 23 and where Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he says, look, you give, you give a tithe and that's great. You should do that. You should give your tithe. But the problem is you neglect every other aspect when it comes to how you treat other people. He says, the problem is your heart. You're only doing it for legalistic reasons. He says, That's the difference in a person who is a giver 
and generous. It's their heart and where their heart is. Jesus seems to be teaching that generosity has nothing to do with your finances. Generosity has everything to do with your heart. God is wildly interested in your heart and where your heart is. See, when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, he wrote back to them. We see in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, he told me, he said, be imitators of God as his dear children. And to make the most of every opportunity that God has placed in front of you. You know, most children reflect their parents in some way. And Paul is saying, we should reflect God. Two of probably the greatest qualities of the nature of God are expressed in the most famous verse of the Bible. It's John three sixteen, And those two qualities are, for God so loved, that's quality number one, that he what? Gave. Quality number two. God so loved that he gave. God's great love prompted him to do, to act. Maybe you remember the words of Paul to Timothy. I'll remind us, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us everything we need for our enjoyment. Then he goes on, he says, tell them to use their money to do good. And they should be rich in good works. And what? Generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life, real, genuine life. We are never more like God than when we love and when we give. When we begin imitating our Father in this way, loving others and being generous, we are reflecting God in this world and we're bringing glory to him. And his teaching on generosity in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and, and I like, I'm going to read to you from the Living Bible. He says, two good things happen as a result of your gifts, of your generous life, because that's what he's talking about in the context of this part of his letter, generosity. He said, those in need are helped and then they overflow with thanks to God. And then watch what he says. Those you help will be glad not only because of your generous gifts to themselves and to others, but they will praise God for this proof that your deeds are as good as your doctrine. In other words, what you say you believe, you actually live it out. Living a life of real generosity is what makes your faith and your love real to others. Imagine if the world around us in our community, maybe they didn't believe what we believed. They don't believe what we believe, but they're amazed by the love and the generosity that we show to them. Imagine the difference that can make in a community, in your work, and those that you're in relationship with in your neighborhoods and the school associations that you have, imagine how much you can make a difference and transform the community around you 
just through love and generosity. As we close up, I want to I want to think about this. I don't know if any of you, some of you in certain generations, you know exactly what this is. Some of you don't know what this is, and you're like, yeah, I remember we learned about those in history class. Um, these are this is a map. Uh, this is what people used before GPS. This is what they, they had to look at this thing and navigate their route, map out their route before they went and before they did anything. Now, I remember we were traveling when, when I was in college, we traveled uh, and, and did ministry with um, to different places. I had a, uh, and on one of the trips, we were doing ministry. I had a guy sitting up front. I was driving and he had one of these up front because this was before GPS. And we're in this old rackety 15 passenger van and we don't know how fast we're going. We just have to keep up because the speedometer just does this number right here. And there's no air condition. The windows are down and he's sitting beside me and he's, he all the time liked to do stupid stuff to get a laugh. And so he says, watch this. And so he's taking the map and he's acting like he's losing control of it as we're riding through. I don't know why that was funny to him, but he's acting like he's losing control of it as we're riding down I-85 Atlanta traffic probably going 70 miles an hour at the least to keep up with people. And all of a sudden the wind sucks the map out the window. It flies behind me. I look in the rear view mirror and it lands plop right on the windshield of the car behind me. Now it didn't stay there long. Thankfully the wind took it off. Uh, I imagine they needed the quickest rest area that they could find after that happened. But I often wondered was the inventor of the GPS behind us in that car that day? And he thought, maps are going to kill somebody. We need to get rid of these things. But maps, maps, when you look at these things, they typically, nowadays, if you had a map or even your GPS, the orientation that they base everything off of is you orient yourself based on where north is. Now, in the history with maps, and especially in European countries and things like that, when early map makers started making maps, north was not the point of orientation. Religion had a lot to do with how they made their maps. The east and where the sun rose was the point of orientation. It was the place where your, 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 your starting point, your orientation, that's where you started everything. So at the east, because that's where the Holy Land was, that's where Jerusalem was, that's where Jesus died. Those places would be found on the top of the maps and everything else was centered around those. In fact, our word for orient comes from a Latin word, oriens, which means east. What is your point of orientation today? What is your starting point for how you see everything in this life? The way that you're mapping out your life, the way that you're determining the direction that your life goes. How are you mapped? What is your point of orientation? What is your beginning point? Because if there's anything you've heard throughout this whole series, even if it wasn't about money, if you heard anything, I hope you heard one of those last statements I made that for God so loved you that he gave. 
He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ. He proved to you how much He loved you. He showed you His love was far greater than anything else in this world. His love for you cannot be measured. It is likely that there have been people in this life that have let you down, that have disappointed you, that have hurt you, that have, that have left you stranded. And that, and that person may have been someone that said, I'm a Christian. Because sadly, that can happen. Because Christians are imperfect people trying to follow a perfect God. But here's the thing. That perfect God never abandons you. And he always loves you. And he always will. And he proved that love for you when Jesus Christ gave willingly his life on a cross. And he said, I will love you forever because I'm doing this. And not only that, he says, I'm not just giving you this. I'm not just showing you my love. I am giving you a gift of eternal life that is yours to receive if you will choose to receive it. By following me and living this life as a disciple of mine. See, Jesus filled the gap that was between us and God that had been created because of sin. He filled that gap with love and generosity. And as we live for him, he calls us to fill every gap around us with that same love and generosity in our life. As we live for him, our starting point Our point of orientation is the cross. That is our foundation. That's where we navigate every aspect of our life around. It's the cross. Because what was done on the cross is what shaped and transformed our life as followers of Christ. And as the cross is our foundation and our perspective is changed And the way we see our resources, our time, our talent, our treasures, the way we see those things becomes a point of stewardship. Then we begin to produce a generosity that comes out of that which we are planted in. Let us be a people who are generous, who love and give of the resources that God has blessed us with to not just say, look what I did but to reflect the God who we serve and to amaze people with the love and generosity of God. Stand with me this morning. We're going to close just a moment of worship to reflect on God's word today. Just just, to spend the time, I encourage you in these times to just reflect on God and, and reflect on his word and just seek him and say, God, what, what needs to change in my life from, from your word today, God? But I also want to encourage you that if you're here today and you've never committed to truly follow Christ, that you've never let the fact that for God so loved you, that he gave Jesus for you, and that Jesus willingly gave 
his life for you because he knew the joy it would bring him. The writer of Hebrews said, for the joy, it's more blessed to give than receive, Jesus said. And the joy that came to his life was when he gave his life for you. If you've never allowed that to become a reality for your life today, I encourage you to take this moment in this worship and to begin to express words from your own heart that God, I want to follow you, to thank Jesus for what he's done for you and to say, Jesus, I need you to begin to transform my life through your Holy Spirit. I want to follow you. I want to reflect your love. I want to reflect your generosity to the world around me. Forgive me, God, of my sins. Let me live my life for you. Pray that today. Give your heart to him today. Make them your words today and pray it. And when you do, tell somebody. Because your faith's not meant to be private. It's meant to be public. Tell somebody. But let's just spend these last few moments worshiping God and thanking him. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.